good afternoon, church. I wanted to kind of change up and do something a little different. But just for the time being, just pray with me right now. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are just so grateful and so thankful, Lord, for your amazing grace that your Son bestows upon us from the cross. You, Lord, by your Spirit, reach into our hearts to draw you unto us. How we praise you and further thank you for your amazing grace that you give us the privilege, Lord, of sharing the gospel and being part of this great salvation of others coming unto you and to the family of God. Right now, Father, encourage us to be more hopeful, to keep praying, to keep sharing the good news, and to be part of bringing your precious gospel around the world, and to our neighbors next door. For we pray this thing in Jesus' name. Um, I title this, Lord, What Do You Want Me To Do? And that title comes out of Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. So let me... Read those verses for you. And then we'll kind of look at those verses. So just please stand with me as I read these precious words here. Acts 9, 1 through 6. Uh, hear the word of God as recorded in the book of Acts. But Saul then breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men's or women's, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter into the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, Hearing the voice and seeing no one, Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing, so they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. May God add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his holy word. Now Saul encountered with Jesus compels Saul to ask a fundamental question. Lord, what do you want me to do? And that key verse is Acts 9, 6. And then he asks, who are you, Lord? Now, now think about this. And I gave some thought to this. If you really think about it, Saul was five or six years younger than Jesus Christ. And he was born 
6 B.C., and Jesus Christ is born, I think, no, 4 B.C., and Jesus Christ is born 2 A.D., somewhere in there. And you can kind of see. But think about this. Now, Saul is a part of the Sanhedrin. He's a Pharisee. But we never heard of Saul until the stoning of Stephen. For, you know, for some particular reason, I'm trying to kind of put that together. And then all of a sudden, Paul goes on this chair to kill Christians. And I began to wonder, what is going on here? All this time, he'd been around the same time Jesus was around, but yet, all of a sudden, he hates Jesus. He is angry with Jesus. He despised Jesus Christ. And why he does that is due to the resurrection. It is then when Paul's service and people began, became aware of who he was at that particular time, the resurrection. That is what he hated the most, was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he was determined to annihilate all Christians based upon the resurrection. So that's where he kind of comes into play of this whole thing. Now think about this here. On the road to Damascus, what's going on? Jesus say, says this, my sheep know my what? So now listen to this. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And notice how Saul responded. Who are you, Lord? Now he is responding as a sheep of Jesus Christ. Now look at this right here. Uh, Go to uh, Galatians chapter 6. I'm kind of, I think that's, oh, Galatians chapter 1. In order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. And the point that I'm trying to make is this. Why would God choose Paul way back in the to pass and then allow him to do these wicked things to the church of Jesus Christ. H had you ever thought about that? It, it is so clear that he chose him, and look at what he did to the church of Jesus Christ. He wrecked havoc with the church of Jesus Christ. But also, look at this, and I'm going to get to what I want to preach about. But you allow me some time when you only sung a few songs. So I'm going to take advantage of that. Because I really see something here that if God calls you, he's going to get you in here. And someone mentioned this morning to me about Jonah. God called Paul way back in eternity to pass. And look at how many years and look at what he has done. And now all of a sudden on the Damascus road, he gets his man. But after all the havoc he has done to the church of Jesus Christ and to Jesus himself, because that's what Jesus said is, why are you persecuting me? Because if you do something to Dennis, who is a Christian, you're doing it to who? 
You've done it to the Lord. And that's what Jesus was trying to get Paul to see. And guess what? Paul recognized that right off the bat because he is thinking Jesus is where? Dead. And Jesus is raised from the dead. And he don't like that idea. But Jesus is going to stop him and he stopped him on the Damascus road. But look at this with me here. Uh, I didn't really locate these verses. Look at 1 Timothy chapter uh, 1 right quick here. I can get to it here. 1 Timothy chapter 1. And look at verse 16. And I'm going to read that verse. I think it's 16. If it is, I'm in bed. Oh, I'm in Thessalonians. Okay. Okay, 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 16. Listen to this verse right here. Now I ask you, why do you think God allowed Paul to wreak havoc to the church the way he did based on having already called him? Couldn't he have just called him, put him into the ministry, and gone by his business? And never this had happened. You see what I'm saying, Michael? Now watch this right here. Look at verse 16. He say, Paul says this. He said, but I received mercy for this reason that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might be displayed, his perfect patience, as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So Paul is telling us why God allowed him to do what he did. He allowed Paul to do that, that to put perfect patience of Christ on display. Paul is saying that God allowed me to do these wicked things even though he had called him that we can see the patience of God. This is what he's saying in verse 16 here. This is why God allowed me to do this. So now we might have a loved one who has just gone haywire out there in the world but Paul is a good illustration that we are only seeing God patient at work in that person's life, even though we may not know they have been elected, but we are praying for them based upon God's saying he wants every man to be saved. But here's another one in that same verse. Paul is encouraging those who think they are so sinful that they cannot be saved. There's hope. He is saying, God has allowed me to do that, that I might be an example to others that no matter how bad your life is, there's hope. Say that again. Wow. Now, I gave you some good First Timothy chapter 16, we see some good example, biblical example, why God allowed Paul to go the way that he went. Now, some of you might have me, heard me say that where God has no tongue, we ought not to have any ears. But it's really hard for me to do that because I, I really sat and really try to get into this scene back there with these guys at this particular time 
As you hear some of the people say, to be a fly on the wall, to hear and to see and to know what's going on back here when God is dealing with Paul. And that's how I try to put myself in when I'm reading the Bible. So, I want to do some inference beyond what I have said here from a biblical point of view. And I believe another reason why God allowed Paul or Saul to do what he did is to show that God saved hardened haters of Christ who have murdered Christians. And I'm saying that based upon who we know Paul, who we know Saul is. That God allowed him to do that to show that God saved hardened haters of Christ. And here's another inference that perhaps God allowed him to do that is to show that God can make the chief of sinner the chief of missionaries. These are just some inference based upon what God has done with Saul and how he has used him. And here's another one. I believe God allowed him to do that to show that God permits his much-loved elect to sink in wickedness just like Jim said, and he still loves them. He allows us to sink in wickedness. And then, guess what? Paul is a trophy of God's grace. And that's a beautiful trophy. Someone has, he has washed and cleaned up, and now he sits on a trophy stand and say, look at what I have done with him. That's a beautiful picture. And here's another one. And I think this one is a, it, it should encourage us as a church that Paul allows, God allows Saul to do these things to show the church that he can convert with his power. Because we know that nothing is impossible with God. So based upon that, it should encourage us as a church that we should utilize the power of God. We should pray in a manner that, Lord, I have no hands and I have no power. I seek your hand and your power. Come down and do this for us. Because that's what's going on right here. And look at what he has done with the church of Jesus Christ from that day on the road to Damascus to this very point that we stand here this evening talking about Saul. So, so I, I just want to kind of throw that out there because it has been on my mind in regards to looking at this particular sermon of why he would allow such wickedness to happen. And he does things for a reason. He does things for a purpose. And I think it's so clear, looking at Paul's life, that it should help us to see the lives of others who is out there living and seeing what is possible in their lives. Okay?
Now, that's something that I often think about as well. And it's kind of like we should read the Bible to get some idea of what God expects of us. Because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I never forget being on a church there in St. Louis. And we was ministering to people out on the street. And a gentleman got saved. And the first thing that he asked me is this. He said, Brother Mark, when do I get the power? Oh, I said, nobody never asked me that. <laughs> you know, so I started fumbling, fumbling around for an answer. And fortunately, the Lord say, tell him to abide in Christ. I said, man, you got to abide in Christ. And then he said, what that mean? I say, just rest in Christ. And then he asked me again, what that mean? <laughs> I said, let's go talk to the pastor. And I'm not being facetious, but I'm saying that to say this here. When God met Saul on the Damascus road and he responded, who are you, Lord? What is he saying? He is saying, Master, who are you? He is calling Jesus Christ his master. And to call Christ your master is the implication of what? Salvation. And then the next thing he asked, the Lord was what? Lord, what do you want me to do? And that's the thing that I think is missing in the church here. People are getting saved, but they never ask the next question. So they go through life for 10, 11, 15, 20 years, never knowing what it is the Lord wants them to do. And that's the thing that I want to look at this afternoon. And we just read that Saul said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said what? Get up and go in the city and you will be what? Told what to do. So out of that, he was expecting Saul to do what? Start with an oath. Obey him. That's, that's all. I, I just want you to obey me. Now think about this here. A few Sundays ago, three times, Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? What did he say to Peter? He do what? If you love me, do something for me. Now we're not talking about working for salvation. And he asked him that three times. And each time Jesus responds, feed my sheep, shepherd my lamb. So now, here's Paul. What do you want me to do, Lord? Get up, go in the city, you'll be told what to do. Now, based upon that, I'm going to look at a few other people that Jesus told them what to do. So Jesus often told people what they had to do to be blessed by God. Now, I, I want to make it clear. We're not talking about working for salvation. We are talking about the works that God has already ordained way back in eternity past for Saul to do. And we see what he has done. You know, he, he, he basically just in, he evangelized all of Europe. He, what, he wrote how many epistles? Thirteen of them? You see what he's doing here. He's about the business of God. 
And I said this to my wife in teaching Timothy. I said, you know, I see something about Paul. Any time that you're doing whatever you're doing, is something I noticed about Paul. He always tied everything in with the Great Commission. Everything that Paul did, he tied into the Great Commission. And what was the command that Jesus gave to the church? He said, go and make disciples. The Great Commission. And, and, and I had thought about this sometime, and that was just a blessing to send this group out to do what they did to Montana. Haven Baptist tied what they're doing here with the Great Commission. So let's look at a few examples here, and I might have to get you to help me here. So we're going to example uh, some of those events that we can learn things the Lord wants us to do. Now turn to Luke chapter 5. If someone has that, say amen. Read that for me, Rhett. Luke 5, verses 1 through 11. And that's why I said I want to do something a little different this afternoon. And listen to these verses that Rhett read from Luke 5, verses 1 through 11. And listen to what Jesus will tell this person to do to be blessed. Now, I kind of noticed that. The disciples was looking for what? Fish. But Jesus said, cast your net. So Jesus was looking for faith. F-A-I-T-H. See, in the physical realm, these men were looking for fish. But Jesus instructed them, commanded them to do something. And the only thing that he was looking for was faith. And they did what he said do. And they caught fish. So Jesus is looking for people to act on his word. That's what he's looking for. And if you notice in there, they obeyed Jesus and their faith was rewarded by what? Catching fish. Just simple obedience. Lord, what you want me to do? I want you to cast that net on the other side. Okay. That's what they did. And their faith was rewarded. I kind of, I like that. Now I kind of notice this also that Peter realized something about Jesus. And realizing that with humility, he said, get, get away from me. And that was the holiness of Jesus that he was dealing with. So Jesus come to us asking us to do something, and yet he exposes other things about him to us. And then he said, you will be fishing of men. They're going fishing to catch fish, but Jesus wants them to catch 
men. And then it talks about they forsake all and follow Jesus. Okay, so you can see, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he is looking for faith, and that's what he got, and they was obedient. Okay, let's look at another one. Open Matthew chapter 19. And if you got that, just say amen for me. Chapter 19, verses 16 through 22. I'm going to ask, I'm going to put Dennis on the spot and ask Dennis to read that for me. Listen to that. What good deeds I must do. He's a Pharisee. Now, kind of notice that. Now, we're talking about, Lord, what do you want me to do? So this young man comes to Jesus, and it's so clear, the only thing that Jesus wants him to do is to repent. <laughs> That's all he wants him to do is to repent. What must I do to have eternal life? That's what you got to do. You got to change your attitude about who you are, and you got to change your attitude about who I am and what I have said about you and what I have said about me. But this young man was not willing to do that. So this man's heart must change towards Jesus because Jesus is God. His heart must change towards sin as well. And this man's heart must change toward himself as well as others. He didn't want to depart with his treasure, and he had his priorities all wrong. But the key is, Lord, what do you want me to do? The only thing I'm asking you to do, young man, is to repent. And if you do that, everything else in your life will change. Your priority would change. Okay? And let's look at another one here. And that's Luke chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. Luke chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. You got that? Read that for me, please. You know, notice that. Now, here's a gentleman. Jesus has done something great for him. And I don't really want to take that out of context. Uh, let me just look at that because I'm just picking out some verses here. Uh, yeah, okay, this is where the, uh, Jesus has crossed over and that demonic man was possessed by all these demons and he expelled these demons into these halls. And the people asked Jesus to leave. Now this demon-possessed man has come to his senses. And he wants to follow Jesus. But notice this here. The people told Jesus, get out of my town. You had destroyed my livelihood. So now this demonic wants to follow Jesus. So now if he followed Jesus... Who is going to witness over here for Jesus? 
If he followed Jesus, who is going to witness over here for Jesus? No one. So what does Jesus tell him? You stay here and you confess me to these people. See, that's all he wants this man to do. I have done something for you. You do something for me. You stay back here and testify of me, of what it is I have done for you. Because you see what these people have done? They told me to leave town. That's all he wanted this person. Lord, what do you want me to do? Now, he didn't really ask that question, did he, Michael? But you see the implication. Jesus is saying, this is what I want you to do. I want you to profess your faith to these people over here because they knew the condition that you was in. And now they see the condition that you are in now. So you'll be a better testimony over here than I. Because these people are living in sin and just like I destroyed their economy, I'm going to destroy something else if I don't get out of here. This is me talking now. <laughs> oh, Lord Jesus, help me today, this afternoon. I get carried away sometimes, but I uh, always tell you, where the Bible has no tongue, don't listen to me because I, I, I kind of like this, this here. I like to try to figure out what's going on here. But that's what the Lord wants that young man to do. So let's just look at probably one more and then we'll close up and, well, it looked like I done ran out of. But, I, I kind of finished like this here is the Great Commission. What has he told us to do? You see? Go and make disciples. And you know, the more I talk about this, the more it becomes clear to me perhaps why we don't ask that question. And as I stand here this afternoon, it's becoming a little clearer to me that we already have our instruction of what to do, isn't it? Because sometimes, I'm talking about year after year, over, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years, I'm saying, Lord, what you want me to do? Lord, what you want me to do? Because I'm reading this and trying to emulate what I'm reading here. That maybe I have missed something. But I think it's a little clear to me by virtue of standing here and talking about this. And when I looked, I had ran out of illustration. And the only thing I could fall on was the Great Commission. And I can kind of see that now. Because that's our job. The Lord has entrusted us with that. And you might have heard me say this before, and I really like this. Is you think of, you know, some of the great painters in the world. You know, those guys will paint things and sell them, and they might have some painting that is, they didn't complete. But no one never goes and tries to complete that painting. Or now do they go to someone and say, here's a painting. Would you com complete this painting for me? They don't do that. But here, the God of the universe has asked us to do something that he has finished. And I tell you, sometimes I can't get my brain around that, that he has asked me to do something that he has started. And that's unthinkable out in this secular world. But I just praise God, you know, this afternoon that 
And I talked with Jim about this sometime and jacked him that the Lord has given us some work at this church to do. And as of right now, we just got to get the right man in here to get it done. And from all indication, it seems as though that we're on the right track. But what we got to do is, we just got to get behind that person who come here. I'm talking about full-fledged. Yeah, I'm a, man, I'm a close. It's, you know, it's almost like, I shouldn't say almost like, and I'm talking to you guys, and I don't want you to do what I want you to do. I want you to do what the Lord wants you to do. But how great would it be that we get that person here whenever it is, and that Sunday, that first Sunday, this church rise up and come down here and say, Dennis, I give you my hands. For the support that we as a church got up, came down here totally and tell this man is, here's our hand, take them and use them how you see fit to do this Lord work because the Lord work is so great it's going to take all of us to do it. He can't do it by himself. And that's what I see. I'm just throwing that out there. Yeah, I'm just saying. You know, if I have to just take my wife down here, I'm just, it, you see the picture, guys. This man should know without a doubt that he has total support of this church. And not being repetitional, God's work is so great that one person can't do it. That's why he said what? I must go away. And if I go away, I can endow you with the Holy Spirit and many peoples can do my work. So let's pray. Lord, I just thank you this afternoon to, to come out here and stand by the power of God and authority of Jesus Christ and the conviction of the Holy Spirit and proclaim the unadulterated word of God. Lord, we are just so grateful and thankful for your word. And Lord, we know without a doubt that you have given us instruction of what it is that we need to do. And Lord, by your spirit, you have even equipped us to do it. And Lord, the only thing that we need to do is to just surrender it all to you, as Dennis was talking about this morning. And I haven't gotten there yet, Lord. But move me to that point, Lord, that I just give it all up for your honor, your glory, and your praise. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, all God's people say amen.